As Pastor Jeff mentioned, it's, it's always an honor for us to have, um, and, and a special honor for us to have any missionaries with us. And Homer and Mimi have been blessing us for many, many, many years here at the House of Prayer. And um, when Evelyn even just mentioned that they were, had, were, had been in the States, were in the States, and there was a chance for them to come by, uh, I, think I, I think I basically said to her, you see if you can get them, I'll clear whatever we've got going on, because we, we always, we love them. And uh, besides just being a, a couple, uh, love the Lord and love each other, uh, they love uh, the people. God's people, and they love the people in the Mideast, and they've been there. They bring us a fresh report of what's going on directly from the ground. Uh, they, I think you met in maybe in, I don't know, did you meet in, in Jordan or in Israel? Where did y'all meet? The island of Cyprus, and it still holds a fun place in your heart. But uh, God's blessed us this morning with them. And uh, I've tried to get Homer to bring the message of the day. I'm still praying. You pray if the Holy Spirit leads and directs him, then he either has to obey the Lord or be disobedient. And, and uh, I, love, I love seeing it when somebody's, you know, disobedient. But uh, let's give a house of prayer welcome. Mimi is kind of under the weather. She's, she's a little bit raspy. She's been hollering at Homer since they've been home a lot. Um, but uh, let's welcome Mimi and Homer Lanier. Come on up here, guys. When I went to greet them in the hallway this morning, and uh, I started toward Mimi, and she backed up, and Barbie told me before I left the house, she said, honey, you need to use mouthwash, and I did, uh, but by the time I got to Mimi, it was, I have a cold, but, but I've had 22 other people, now he's going back, I see I even said that, and he's left you here alone, Homer, come back, oh, <laughs> here, brother, <laughs> you're making Mimi laugh, and when you... Oh, here, let me have one. I need one of those, too. You going to talk to that melts? Take another one if you are. You going to talk to that melts? <laughs> it's so great to be with you guys. And I do sound rather raspy. I'm sorry. I'm not hugging or kissing anybody um, just because I didn't want to pass it along. But it is an honor to be back. It always feels like we're coming home, coming here. The, the worship, the music, the, the folks... Uh, we, we love being with you guys, and thank you for standing with us. We really appreciate it. Um, uh, we have a lot of bad news out of the Middle East, out of Lebanon, uh, but, but there's also good news, and God is moving in amazing ways. Uh, just this morning, I received a text message in Arabic from a friend of mine. She actually is from Jordan, and she's a mother of seven. Uh, her husband was a Sharia judge. That means um, he was an Islamic judge. And uh, she came to faith. Um, and when she did, her husband tried to kill her. And so she fled. Jesus says, when you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. So she fled to Lebanon. She's no longer there. But we got to know um, her at that time. And, you know, she gave up a lot. She gave up a lot for her faith. And many, many Muslims are doing the same thing. It's amazing to me that Jesus is appearing to people more and more in dreams and visions. Um, When we work with the Syrian refugees each week, I can't tell you how many times I've heard the women say, the man in white appeared to me in a dream last night. And uh, we are very glad because... 
Amen. Amen. We're thankful because um, these, a lot of these people are illiterate, and they don't, they're very poor, so they don't have TV or um, access to satellite television or things like that, or the Internet. So they, they, um, Jesus is coming to them himself. And so keep praying that he will continue to do that, because we're seeing a lot of people, a lot of people where Jesus is coming to them, and we're grateful. Thank you, honey. My Valentine. Happy Valentine's Day. This is the day that we celebrate Christian martyrs. There were many St. Valentines. They gave their lives for our Lord Jesus. We should call it uh, Martyr's Day. (laughs) Now, what Pastor Jeff was referring to earlier was that, uh, uh, well, I I found a way of... uh, saving $40 by just sending a picture of a bouquet of roses to my wife. And it, and it was sufficient. Now I have enough money to get a three-year subscription to Field and Stream, Popular Mechanics, Cycle Magazine, Car and Driver, gifts that keep giving. Um, thank you, Evelyn and Bill Lamar for your wonderful hospitality. It was a wonderful breakfast that we had this morning. I had a wonderful dinner last night as well. Uh, But it's one of the few times I've been able to come to Blairsville and not have to preach. And I don't eat before I preach. I can't preach on a full stomach. But this morning, I tucked into sausage and biscuits and and, and, uh, all all kinds of... Because I knew I could come and sit in a pew and just listen to to Pastor Jerry, pontificate, and just let it wash over me and, and just enjoy the service. And, and I, I enjoy it first service. I'm looking forward to second service. And we also enjoy as well the, the music ministry here. We always have. First time we ever came, I don't remember when it was, um, it was a wall of sound that just hit us. And to come from the part of the world that we come from and to sit in a service like this, it is such a tonic to our souls and so uplifts our spirits. Um, Mimi talked about the man in white. There was a guy. If you want to pay for this, uh, this lady, her name sounds like Russia. Pray for Russia. She not only uh, was almost killed by the Sharia judge, her husband, but she lost all her children. And she has not been able to see her children now for two years, is it now? More than two years, my wife says, and some are very small. Um, in November, I went to, to Iraqi Kurdistan, a place that I worked for five years a quarter of a century ago, after Gulf War One, Can you believe, veterans out here, that it's been that long? Good grief. Um, because the House of Prayer, the Mesopotamian House of Prayer, Mesopotamia was the original name of that country before uh, the British renamed it Iraq. There's a prayer movement that two men started from the United States, David, uh, a Romanian-American, and Fabian, a Maltese-American, Uh, both from the Chicago area, who moved to Erbil to start a house of prayer. And when I heard they were going to have 100 hours of prayer and worship, that's four straight days, nonstop. I flew from Beirut. We have a direct flight from Beirut to uh, Erbil, northern Iraq. I flew just for for the time of prayer. Now, one of the sessions had to do with Isaiah 19. Isaiah 19, there is a prophecy that one day the most problematic corner of planet Earth, the Middle East, will be a blessing in the whole earth. You can read about it. 
Isaiah 19, verses 23, 24, and 25. One of the prophecies that have not been fulfilled yet. And so the, the, the prayer session for that, uh, for Isaiah's highways, we call it, was 12 midnight to 2 in the morning. So I decided to attend that session. When I walked into the Mesopotamian house of prayer, there was the Israeli flag on the wall. The Israeli flag. Now, 25 years ago, when I was working in Iraq, Saddam was still in power. If somebody had come to me and said, Homer, one day you're going to see the Israeli flag publicly exhibited in Iraq, I would say, you know what? You're a false prophet. Get away. And yet there it was. Three flags, in fact. Flag of Egypt, flag of Iraq representing Assyria. Assyria is actually the modern Middle East. Northwestern Iran, southeastern Turkey, parts of Armenia, all of the countries that we now call Jordan, Israel, Lebanon, what have I left out? The island of Cyprus, where it was all of Syria. And there these flags were on the wall, and we had a time of prayer um, uh, and worship for two solid hours, uh, crying out to God to fulfill that, that prophecy, that one day there will be a highway. And it's not talking about a highway of of, uh, 18-wheeler trucks going back and forth. It's talking about a highway of relationships. And we pray for that faithfully. Every Friday in Beirut, uh, that the border between Israel and Lebanon, for example, will open. And that part of the highway will open. But the man in white that's been appearing to people has not happened uh, out of a vacuum. It's true that people have come to faith without human agency, particularly in Iran. But it's not just something that happened. It's because people like yourselves have been praying for the last, what missiologists called, the last frontier of Christian mission, which is the Muslim world. And last week, there was a four-day celebration of 10 years of the International House of Prayer in Atlanta, which was hosted by Meadow Baptist Church in Lawrenceville. And we were able to take in several sessions. And what a wonderful time that was. But... Why did we make a point of going to that? Because we realize that the reason that we're seeing Muslims come to faith today in numbers, unprecedented numbers, is because of the prayer movement. Because people are praying here in the mountains of North Georgia. Because people are praying in Atlanta, Georgia. That's why. How else can you explain it? No one went to preach to them. No one gave them a track. No one gave them a Bible. The man in white appears to them. And then they turn on the uh, satellite television or, or the, uh, the internet, and then, oh, that's who I saw in my dream. They hear a gospel witness. I mean, it's remarkable uh, what's going on today. And it reminds me, what 41 years ago, this month, I was in Lausanne, Switzerland, in a Youth of the Mission School of Evangelism. It was an eight-month course, and we had a teacher, her name was Corrie Boom. Some of you still remember her? The hiding place and all that. And Corey told us, she said, the coming harvest, the coming end time harvest, as she put it, which she didn't live to see, but she said the coming end time harvest will come in a, in a atmosphere, environment rather, in an environment of persecution and blessing at the same time. Persecution and blessing at the same time. So Mimi wants to tell you the good news, news that you will not fine and news amalgamation sites like Huffington Post or Drudge Report, you're only going to hear it from us. Yes, the Middle East is a mess, 
Mimi's family went to the Middle East in 1951. My family followed 10 years later in 1961. We grew up there. We've never seen the Middle East in such a mess. In fact, we don't even recognize it. But we also have to hasten to say that God is on the move. He just is. I'm, 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 giving, I'm reporting the truth. I'm telling you what's actually happening. That Muslims are coming to faith. I'm not saying that we should not be concerned about Islam or the spread of Islam, but you should encourage yourselves that Islam has no answer for the gospel. When I arrived, we hadn't had Christmas here for... Um, don't fall asleep back there. You're going to come up here in a minute. We hadn't had Christmas in America for eight years. Our parents are now in their 90s. My, my mom and dad are in their 90s. Mimi's father is 94. So we decided, let's have Christmas in America. So we came. Dad went into hospice two weeks ago, so it's been a perfect time. It's a season of life. And I want to thank all of you that wished us Merry Christmas. We went everywhere we went. Stores, restaurants, Merry Christmas. It was wonderful. However, we didn't see the phrase Merry Christmas anywhere. Anywhere. That was odd. In the past, they used to have at least Merry Xmas. Am I right or am I right? That was gone. So that shocked us. But at least people are telling you Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, belated Merry Christmas to you. But I was in Hasaki, Syria, a town that where the Syria, Turkey, and Iraq meet. So the northeastern corner of Syria at a restaurant. And uh, enjoying my meal, a waiter comes over to me and he simply blurts out, I want to become a Christian. Well... I've, 37 years in the Arab Muslim world, I've had people tell me in a thousand different ways or ask me a thousand different ways how to get a visa to the West, how to get a visa to America. Can you help me get a visa to America? But this was a new one. This was a new approach. So uh, I ignored him. I just kept eating. But he stood there. And when I realized he wasn't going to walk away, I said, yeah, uh uh-huh. And why do you want to become a Christian? And that was my, my attitude. I mean, I was like the prophet Jonah. And uh, I said, because for a Muslim to say something like that is to commit apostasy against Islam and treason against the Muslim community or Ummah. Because uh, Islam is a world religion which says that if you convert or leave Islam, if you leave the Arab religion, you can be put to death. Which has always confused me why America especially calls it a religion of peace because we always call it a religion of justice. We never call it a religion of peace. Islam actually doesn't mean peace, it means submission to Allah. But uh, we were curious, as well, because how can a religion be a religion of peace where if you want to leave Islam, you could risk death? But anyway, uh, we'll just have to disagree on that. And uh, so I said, uh, yeah, and why do you want to become a Christian? He says, because yours is a religion of love. Did I feel convicted? I put my fork down. (laughs) He wasn't after a visa after all. Every uh, day of the week, there is a, a verse read in the synagogues. It's not read on Friday or Saturday. It's read every day of the week in the synagogue. It's Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9. It goes... The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord, and his name, the only name. 
And this speaks to us especially, Pastor Jerry, because right now in the Middle East, I have to hear another name five times a day, every day of the week. And even in our own country, in Hamtramck, which is not far from Dearborn, for the first time in our nation's history, you now have the uh, call of prayer five times a day, every day of the year. But this speaks to me, because it says here, it promises here, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord, and his name, the only name. Hallelujah. You want to give the invitation? Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. That was good. <laughs> are y'all going to be able to, to be with us at the fellowship meal or this evening? Or are you going to have to leave? You're going to go on. I knew there was another press engagement. Uh, but we just take what we can get. Thank you so much. Just give us the crumbs off the table. I love it. Join me, if you will, in the book of Matthew. Because I want to talk about this king. I was, I was sitting here first service and when, when Homer read the verse, verse 9 from Zechariah 14, I thought, wow, Lord, that's surely, that's surely a, a segue into the message that you've given me. Because I want to talk to you about the king of the Jews. The king of the Jews. The writer of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2, I may have mentioned. The writer of the book of, of Matthew, one of his objectives as the Holy Spirit urged and, and moved on him this scripture was to present Christ as a king of the Jews, the king of kings and Lord of lords. We looked, uh, we've looked in, at a couple of times in the, in the first chapter that the genealogy as a, so significant uh, of, of uh, royal line, the genealogy of Christ through uh, Luke, both through Luke through Mary and then Matthew through his stepfather, Joseph. But chapter two Begins and as I was reading chapter two a few weeks ago, I I, I kept noticing this this uh, king deal, and it's like this king, that king, this king, that king, and it's like it's like that the the game show used to be. Well, you know what is what's your name? What's my name? Used to be a, what's my line or whatever. They come in there signing my name, and here we got my name is King of the Jews. My name is King of the Jews, and let's let's look at it with me. It says, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod, the king, had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Now, Friday, I was down. I was headed across the mountain. We 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 left Friday morning. Some of us gathered to pray early, and we left. And it started snowing, and I thought, "What's well, not supposed to snow?" And I was going to Gainesville to the hospital, and and uh, I mean, it's big old goose feather flakes. It's beautiful, wasn't it? Beautiful Friday morning. Now Henry doesn't think it's beautiful because he broke his foot in it, but it's beautiful. So I'm I'm headed across the mountain, and I, I called back to to Jackie, and I said, "Jackie, you, if you get the chance, she had a, a lot of things on her plate, but I said, if you get the chance." Uh, look up, do me a favor and look up Herod the king, uh, because I, I'm, I'm reading this in Matthew chapter two, and I may want to mention some of these things uh, Sunday morning about that. So later on, I get back Friday afternoon, Jackie, Jackie's gone to watch her daughter play in a, in a region ball game, and, uh, but she's left on my desk. She's so efficient. She left on my desk these three different stacks of material, 
And one of them, she said, Pastor, very concise, easily to use. And the other one, she said, more information than you ever, can ever use about Herod. And then she had another one, and she said, reads a lot like an encyclopedia. But she had took it, taken the time and highlighted and underlined. And it's, it's interesting to me uh, about this man named Herod. We've, you, you know, you've heard a lot about him in history. Uh, when he was young, possibly as young as 25, 25, 26, or 27, he was, he was given uh, the authority as governor of Galilee. And there was some, a little bit of concern. It was a very young age, a lot of power to, to commit into the hands of, of, of 25-year-old, 26-year-old person. But then later on in 40 BC, the Roman Senate gave him the title King of the Jews. King of the Jews. So he, you, you, you have this man that now he's up in years uh, when, we, when we get here, but who, who has been dubbed the King of the Jews. And then you have these strangers coming in from out of town looking for the King of the Jews. Herod was, Herod was uh, a man that was preoccupied with power for sure. He was a man that, that if power was, um, was a drug, he was addicted to it. Uh, and to maintain that power, he would do whatever it took. Uh, uh, three words were used, some, I've, I read somewhere that was used to describe uh, his reign, and that was capable, crafty, and cruel. Quickly after he was uh, put in, a, in this position of power, he was able to, to quell some rebellions of those stubborn Jewish people, and he was able to form some alliances and different things. So he, he had this, this, this ability that, that could be used uh, in, a lot of, in, you know, in a lot of ways for good. But then at the same time, he had this, this, uh, this I don't know if you use the words, deceitfulness, craftiness, uh, you know, that, that he could use in all kinds of ways also to, to maintain, to hold on to, and to maintain this power. And, at the, and, and ultimately, it was, was cruel. Uh, Josephus described uh, Herod as barbaric. Uh, says that uh, that he killed for sport, for spite, and he killed to stay in power. Matter of fact, uh, he, he was almost indiscriminate. When someone was a threat to him or a perceived threat, he eliminated them quickly. At one point, he had uh, his father-in-law killed, a mother-in-law killed. He had his uh, brother-in-law killed. He had his wife killed and two of his sons killed because he uh, thought that they may be trying to plot to take over the throne. Just eliminate him. He was, he was preoccupied with this, with this power. But, it, but there was another characteristic about Herod. He also um, was preoccupied with possessions and with, uh, with a, a legacy. He was almost like a, a, a Donald Trump before his day in the fact that he, he built, had, had built seven different palaces. He, had, uh, he built theaters. Uh, historians tell us that one of his theaters seated... Uh, 9,500 people. He built uh, colosseums and amphitheaters. And one colosseum, I read, said that one colosseum would seat 300,000 spectators. I mean, massive. And he took, this was, this was he was leaving a lasting legacy that uh, not only would attribute to his power, but to his, his possessions. I read where he possibly was responsible for building the fortress Masada. Some of you that have been to Israel and I've seen this, um, this fortress up on top of the mountain. But Herod also was, uh, he was, uh, 
I don't know where the word is paranoid or psychotic or a psychotic paranoid. I don't, I don't know. His father had been poisoned to death. And so Herod had this, uh, he was, you know, he was, he was never, he was always alert. He was always looking for, for people that were out to get him and he got them first. He made sure that we got, that he got them first. So now when we come to Matthew chapter two, just a little bit, Herod is older, much older. He's at the end of his reign. He's a, he's a, an old man and this has been his legacy. He's, there's tributes of, of the great building projects around the country. There's this legacy of cruelty, of, uh, of fear and intimidation that you didn't, you, you better not, you didn't, you didn't cross him. You didn't even let anybody know. You were listening to anybody thinking about crossing him or you would be annihilated. And along with that, now Herod has gotten some physical uh, diseases, different, uh, different accounts give different things, but they say that, that his last years were painful physically. They were painful uh, mentally uh, and emotionally uh, as, as, he, as he was, you know, just he knew he, he was getting older. He knew he was all slipping. So that's where we find, that's the Herod that we see as we get to chapter 2 of Matthew. That's the Herod that on this particular day, Word comes to him that there's a there's an entourage of strange looking people, important looking people from the east, and they've got a they've got a they've got a caravan. There's an entourage that's just came into Jerusalem, and the question that they're asking is, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And Herod must have winced; it must have boiled up inside of him when he heard this question. Who would dare? Herod had been given the title king of the Jews. Herod had not been born king of the Jews. But now someone is coming looking for somebody who's born and dares to say that they're born to be the king of the Jews. No wonder verse 3 says that when he heard this, he was troubled. Uh, Now, I don't know. Somebody got a different translation in verse 3. It said he was troubled. What other trans? What does it say? What's other translation say? He was disturbed. He was terrified. So I, I think one of the maybe the, the original word had had something to do with that he was trembling. He was so angry. And when Herod got angry, when Herod was troubled, when Herod was disturbed, everybody around him was disturbed. You better believe it, because they knew. There were consequences. When Herod got this way, he looked for the cause and he dealt with it immediately. And it didn't matter. Forget about residual effect. He didn't worry about that. So Herod was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Before, there's just another thought because I I told first service, I was reading this. And when I read verse 2, I was looking and and Spurgeon preached a message from... uh, I don't know if you use the whole text here, but there was a message that Spurgeon preached one time. Just, of course, he could, he could preach to, you know, give him a light pole and he'd preach there. But it, it, he's, verse 2, it says, for we have seen when the, uh, the question, when the, the, the men from the east came, they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east. And, and, and I love this whole thought. And Spurgeon just developed it, just took off with it of this unnamed star, and they called it his star, the king of the Jews. It was his star. It's his star. 
don't know. I don't know if it doesn't give us a name, just his star. And I was, and I, I was amazed at how Mimi's talking about, uh, shared about how these, the refugee women uh, will come in and say, we've seen the man in white. He's appeared to us. Homer shared with this. Jim will come back and they'll share how, God, how Christ is revealing himself. And oftentimes I, I, we look and we, he calls us and he, he commissions us to go and to share the gospel. And we do that. And we, we do it gladly out of hearts of love, but we, and we do it out of, out of obedience to the command. But I'm reminded when I read this scripture, and I'm reminded when I hear these reports, that where there are those that cannot go, where there are places that, that a missionary cannot get into, when Jesus Christ decides he's going to reveal himself, there's nothing in the world that can keep him from revealing himself. There's no authorities, there's no government, there's no boundaries that can, that can handle and control Jesus Christ. When he, uh, I think of scripture oftentimes, how he, he chose to speak through the improbable. A burning bush would be, in a desert, would get the attention of Moses and Christ, God, was, God to speak to him out of that. What is it? And the prophet Balaam was that, that uh, you know, that God would speak through his donkey. When God wants to speak, and if God can speak through a donkey, I know he can, he can use any means. And I love this fact, uh, uh, was listening to a, uh, I think on, on maybe on, on a Facebook, Jackie had put uh, this Christian comedian, and he was talking about uh, the, the, the why. You know, it's not the what we do but that's significant, but it's why we do what we do that gives it even more important. And I was looking about that, thinking about that, and I thought about, well, maybe it's more than just the what, and maybe it's the why, maybe it's the who's, because this star was his star. It was his star. And even for these men hundreds of miles away in a pagan, hedonistic country, recognized this phenomenon. We could talk about what, what was that. I don't know. But it was something that led them. Was it like the pillar of fire that led the children of Israel? I don't know. Was it a literal star? I don't know. But whatever it was, they kept following it for hundreds of miles, hundreds of miles, and it kept moving. And I think about how God uses not only sometimes very uncommon sources, but he uses a lot of times unnamed people that are his people. And he gets, he gets the glory. Think about the servant girl. It was a servant girl that told her master, was, was it her master was, it was a leper? Naaman. Naaman. And the, and the, and the, the servant girl, we don't, I don't think we know her name. She said, boy, if you would go back to, if you're in my country, there's a prophet there. God used her. And God got the glory. I think about the little boy. Little, I, I love this, the little story of the, of the little boy. Remember the boy that had his, his fish lunch? The loaves and fishes, was it five loaves and two fishes or what, seven loaves? It's, it was a snack meal. It was one of the super value meals. Just a little, you know, just a little, it's just a little. And he goes there and he's listening to Jesus speak. And there's, there's, there's a bunch of people, 5,000 men besides the kids and the women. And, and somebody comes along and said, you know, would, would you donate your, your fish and biscuits your, your, for, the, for the lunch? Now, I'm telling you, Fred, I like fish and I like biscuits. It would, Larry, it would took a bunch for me to have the faith say, you know, let me just break me off a piece. I could say that. Well, well here, I'll take, let me get one. You, take, you can have these. But the scripture says he gave them to the Lord. He gave them to Jesus. Jesus took them, blessed them, broke them, fed the multitudes. We don't even know the little boy's name. Why? Because it wasn't about him, it's about it's about Christ. Don't you, I, I, I want to be one of those unnamed stars 
I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter, to, you know, I, I don't want to be a Harry that's, that's preoccupied with power or preoccupied with possessions. I want to be an unnamed star for Jesus. That was another message. I just, just, I could really think about that. Okay. So here's Harry troubled. Now, notice what he, he does. Verse four says that immediately uh, he gathered the, the, the religious leaders there, the chief priests and the scribes of the people together. These were the, the Jewish people. And, and Herod, Herod was, uh, one of his parents was Jew. I think his mother was, was a, a daughter of a sheik. Uh, so he was familiar with some of the Jewish religion. They, they, even though he had the title king of the Jews, the Jews, most part that I could read, resented him. Because he, he, he didn't treat their religion sacred as, as a real Jew would have done. But Herod gets these people together and he demanded of them where Christ should be born. Now, I think that's interesting to me. When, he, when you're king, especially when you're King Herod, you don't ask anybody for anything. You tell them. You demand. You tell them what you want. If they don't produce it, they're history. So Herod gets these people together and he demands, tell me where he's going to be. And he knew... I believe Harry knew that, hey, he's heard the, the manuscripts, the prophets, the scrolls. Somewhere he's heard about this promised one. Now, Matthew's presenting him. He's, he's presenting him to the, to the world now. But Harry's got this word, and he demands of his scribes and religious leaders, where is he be born? And quickly they respond, and they said to him, in Judea and Bethlehem of Judea, because it's written in the prophets. And then they, they quote the prophet. And thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of you shall come a governor who shall rule my people Israel. So quickly Herod asked, uh, demands of them. And they give him this response. They're supposed to be over in Bethlehem. Now Bethlehem is close by Jerusalem. And so Herod then has this. He's using his craftiness. Look at this. Then Herod calls the wise man privately for a, 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 a private audience. And he uh, asked them, Where, how long have you been following the star? How long have you been on the journey? You say you've come from, a far, from far away, and that's a long ways. How long have you been? When did the star first appear? And so they tell him. And then he also sends them, verse 8, he sends them to Bethlehem. And says, go search diligently for the young child. And when you found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Now we know that's, yeah, right. You know, uh, I mean, he's telling them this. Uh, they listened to, to Herod, the king. Herod sends them to Bethlehem. And it, it, verse 9 says, and when they, when they heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over the where the young child was, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. So this star that had brought them to Jerusalem, now they see it again, and it it leads them to Bethlehem, to over the very house where the young child, and the words that's used there in verse 8 and verse 9, and also in verse 11, that's translated young child. It, it's, it's, we know this by this point, Jesus is not still in, in the manger, in, in a stable, but he's, he's older. He's a little bit older. Some translations have the word uh, young toddler. I don't know what that is. Uh, I don't know. One, I don't know if he's one year old. I don't know. 
It's got something to do that the fact that when Herod later would go back and try to kill Jesus, just to be sure, I know, I believe Herod's margin of error was great. <laughs> okay, so he's not going to cut it close. So he goes, any male child two years old and under. So somewhere in there, but the star comes and stops over the house. And so verse 11 tells us that uh, they come into the house uh, and there they see the young child with Mary, his mother. Joseph's not mentioned. He's still around. He's getting, he's maybe off doing work or doing something, but uh, they, they come in and they fell down and worshiped this young King, Jesus Christ. They worship him. And then after they had worshiped him, they opened up their treasures and they presented the treasures that they had brought to the king. Treasures worthy of a king. Treasure worthy of, 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 of the royal line. They brought, they brought these valuable, valuable gifts to him. And then as they presented them, as they worshiped him, then God warns them in verse 12, don't go back to Herod. So they go back to their own country another way. Verse 16 says, when Herod saw that he was mocked of the wise men, he was exceeding wroth. Boy, what does your translation say on that? That's more than troubled. He was what? Exceedingly angry. Furious. My wife says people don't get mad. Dogs go mad. People get angry at the jury. Herod was mad. He was, at this point, he is furious. And then he, he orders the killing of the, of the known as the, what, the slaughter of the innocents. He, he, he ordered the killing of the of babies. I'll just take care of it. I'll, I'll, I'll kill all the boy babies. We'll, we'll do it not only in Bethlehem, but in the surrounding areas. Now, I don't know how wide an area that covered, but in the surrounding areas. We know from Scripture here that as that soon as the wise men leave, um, God appears to Joseph and, and tells Joseph, take Mary and this young, young child and get down to Egypt, man, because Herod's going to try to kill him. And so we'll talk about that later. Joseph obeys quickly. But I want to I wanna come to the, kind of to the end of, of this and look at the intersection of these two kings, Herod and Jesus. Their, li- their lives only intersect very briefly. But, but you sure could do a... Con- do you remember they used to have these questions, compare and contrast you know, I, I, I kind of liked them because I thought you could kind of ramble on and, you know, shoot the bull a lot with those things. Uh, and, and, but, but what a comparison and contrast in these two kings. And as their lives intersected briefly here, briefly. Herod, uh, after, Jesus, after uh, Joseph takes Jesus and, and uh, Mary to Egypt, uh, Herod orders the killing of the, of the babies. He would die shortly thereafter. I don't know how long a period of time. And then the angel would appear to Joseph down in Egypt and say, okay, it's safe to, to come back now because the one that was, was trying to kill him has, has died. Herod would die. And Herod would die, uh, history says, a very painful, excruciating death, screaming and yelling because of the disease and all, everything that was affecting his body. In this sense, there... We could compare them because it would be a while later, 30-something years later, that Jesus would die a very horrible death. He would, he would willingly lay down his life on a rugged cross. Herod could not keep his life. Jesus gave his life. Someone said that Herod and Jesus was also alike in this manner. 
that for both of them, there was nothing that bloodshed couldn't solve. Wow. Quite different, so true. For Jesus Christ, he would willingly shed his blood for me, for my sins, and for your sins. To be an atonement for our sins. To cover our sins. To, to forgive to, so that we have his, his mercy and his grace. Herod would take the blood of others to try to grasp and hang on and control that which he couldn't hang on to and couldn't control. In that way, they're quite different. Let me, let me close with this. I want to just, when I read this, when I read this, I, I, my thought was, man, there are two kings there, and boy, they're sure different. I want to be sure that I'm worshiping the right one. A lot of, still a lot of Herods today, a lot of rulers who are out there for their power, for their prestige, for their legacy, for their glory. Jesus Christ modeled quite a different leadership pattern. It was a servant. It was a servant. Matter of fact, it would be several years later. Go with me to the book of Matthew, still in Matthew. Several years later, Matthew 25. Jesus is now most likely in his 30s. He's, he's now publicly going around the countryside uh, healing the sick. Raising the dead, fulfilling all the prophecies concerning the Messiah when he would come and what he would do. And Jesus is basically saying to the world, I'm, I'm the one. I'm the king of kings. The writer of Matthew said, this is the real king of the Jews. It's this one. And in, in, and in that time frame, when we get to Matthew 25, Jesus tells this story. Matthew 25. Let's pick it up with verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory... And all his holy angels with him. Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all the nations. And he'll separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He'll set the sheep on his right hand but the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand. Come you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then shall the righteous answer me and say, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty, when did we give you a drink? When, when did we see you a stranger and take you in? Or naked or, and clothe you? Or when did, was you sick and in prison, and we come to you? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. To serve him. To worship him. And to serve him, the story that Jesus would, would say, would, would be reflected in how we serve others. How we serve others. The king of Jesus' story said, when you served the least significant, when you served the most destitute, when you served these, you were serving me. You were feeding me. You were clothing me. You were visiting me. Now, I thought about I think about it a lot. But I thought about it this week. I thought about it, benevolence calls. Those of you that serve on the benevolence. Wow. You, you, you get these calls. You don't know how thankful I am because you're there. And you're, and, you're, and you're interacting and you're trying to, you're trying to because legitimate, 
You know, and so many are legitimate needs. So many are legitimate needs. And then you get a few of those, you know, they're just, they're just, they're scams. <laughs> they're, they're wanting to know how to get a visa. You know, they're just wanting to know that. And, and boy, it's, uh, it's hard. And you, you do that. You serve. I thought about those that serve in the cottage and in Elijah's closet. And we, you know, Jeff says we still need help over here in Elijah's closet. Nancy's people, have, have, they're, they're having surgeries and they're out of town. And nobody gets paid. And yet you come and you give food to people that are hungry. And you give clothes. One day this week, they were closed. And the fa- this family shows up and Zach calls Ken. And, and the family who's had a house burned and they've lost everything. And basically, Ken tells Zach, tell them to get what they need. You know, get what they need. You give to him. I thought about it yesterday. I think about it a lot. I thought about it yesterday at Upward. Yes, uh, we were over at the Methodist Activity Center, Barbie and I are, and then we're, we're there, and then we're over here at FLC. We've got grandkids playing both places. So we're getting to enjoy being the grandparent thing, you know, doing the grandparent thing. And, and I'm looking, I'm looking, I watch. And here's, here's, here's adults. Here's, here's people in the concessions. And they're there, people taking gate money. Uh, people coaching, people, and every one of them are doing it free. And it's not just, just not just one of those things. Man, I can't, I, I've got to, th- I got to find something to do that gets me up out of bed on seven o'clock on, on Saturday morning so I can, you know, so I won't, so I won't, you know, gel out and become old and, and crotchety. No, it's not. Every one of these people are doing this as unto the Lord. And it almost me. It almost me. And oftentimes I think, and I, 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 I sit around here a lot. First service had uh, Stella. Stella's two. She, no, she's three. She's going to be four Tuesday. She's going to be four Tuesday. Little Red, she looked like Little Red Riding Hood this morning, had a coat on. And Stella comes running to me and finds me. And I, didn't even, I didn't realize her, her, she and her mom and, mom and dad were here. And, she, and I see her coming running to me. And, 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 and I just bend down and she gives me a big hug. And she tells me, I'm going to have a birthday. And Stella's going to have a baby brother, Lord willing. Mom's going to have a C-section Wednesday, the day after her birthday. And so we're talking about she's getting a baby brother for her birthday. Now, there'll be times she'll rejoice with that. There's going to be plenty of times she'll say, man, what a bummer, you know. <laughs> but, with, but with our little kids, with the little kids that I see you loving on. And I think, when you love on them, you're loving on Jesus, you know, to the needy, to the less fortunate. Wow. Yeah, that's our king. And our king says, if you don't want to know what real, real authority looks like, it looks like a servant, serving others. I want to follow him. I'm going to, I, I told first service, I'm going to close with a story that has not, not much to do with this. But I was wanting to read it back at Christmas and I didn't get to. So I'm going to read it now. Ah, <laughs> uh, But it's, uh, this is a story and I read it. It goes like this. It says, Ruth went to her mailbox one day and found a letter. It didn't have a stamp, didn't have a postmark, just her name and an address. And it said, Dear Ruth, I'm going to be in your neighborhood Saturday afternoon and I'd like to stop by for a visit. And it was signed, Love Always, Jesus. Well, her hands were shaking as she placed the letter on the table and she thought, what would the Lord want to, why would the Lord want to visit me? I'm, I'm nobody special. I don't have anything to offer. With that thought, Ruth remembered her empty kitchen cabinets. I'll have to run down to the store and buy something for dinner, she thought. She reached for her purse and she counted out its contents. $5.40. Well, I can get some bread 
and maybe some sandwich meat at least. After buying a few things at the store, Ruth started walking home quickly. Hey, lady, can you help us? Lady, Ruth had been so absorbed in her dinner plans that she hadn't even noticed two figures huddled in the alleyway, a man and a woman, both of them dressed in little more than rags. Look, lady, I ain't got no job, you know, and my wife and I have been living out here on the street, and, well, now it's getting cold, and we're getting kind of hungry, and, well, if you could help us, lady, we'd really appreciate it. Ruth looked at both of them. They were dirty, and they smelled. Sir, I'd like to help you, but, but I'm a poor woman myself. Now, all I have is some meat and some bread, and I'm having an important guest for dinner tonight, and I was planning on serving that to him. Yeah, well, okay, lady, I understand. Thanks anyway. The man put his arm around his wife's shoulders, and they headed back into the alley. As she watched them leave, Ruth felt a familiar twinge in her heart. Sir, wait. The couple stopped and turned as she ran down the alley toward them. Look, why don't you take this food? I'll figure out something else to give my guest. She handed the man her grocery bag. Thank you, lady. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. It was the man's wife. And Ruth could see that by now she was shivering a lot. Ruth then replied tenderly, you know, I've got another coat at home. Here, why don't you take this one? Ruth unbuttoned her jacket and slipped it over the woman's shoulders. Then smiling, she turned and walked back to the street without her coat and with nothing to serve her guest. Thank you, lady. Thank you very much. Ruth was chilled by the time she reached her front door, and she's worried too. The Lord was coming to visit, and she didn't have anything to offer him. She fumbled through a purse for the door key. But as she did, she noticed another envelope in the mailbox. That's odd. The mailman doesn't usually come twice in one day. She took the letter out of the mailbox and opened it. Dear Ruth, it was so good to see you again. Thank you for the lovely meal. And thank you, too, for the beautiful coat. Love always, Jesus. What a contrast in these two kings. Let's pray. Father, your word is absolutely, truly amazing, powerful, life-changing, life-giving, eternal. Thank you so much for making it so readily available to us. We can read it, we can hear it, we can listen. Lord, we can see it, act out, we can hear it dramatized. It's your word. Changes lives. And Father, this morning is my prayer that as the wise man continued searching and seeking till they found the real king, that we too would never settle for anything less than you. Your God, your sovereign. Jesus Christ, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. We've sung about you this morning. We've sung songs declaring your worthiness of our worship. We've, we've looked at this story that the writer of Matthew has given us. And we say, Lord, I want to stay with him. Yeah, that's exactly who I want to worship. That's who I want to bow down to. That's who I want to spend the rest of my life serving. 
And I hear you say, pretty plainly sometimes, Jerry, if you really want to serve me, you got to serve all these around you. Even the dirty and the smelly, the less fortunate, and those that aren't so easy to serve, you got to serve them too. Because it's in our humility that you're able to exalt. So Father, this morning is my prayer that we too, that each one of us here would have made that firm commitment to you, to follow you, to trust you, to worship you. You are the one, the only one worthy of all of our praise, all of the honor, and all of the glory. And Father, for anyone that may be here this morning that's put off a decision concerning of their soul's salvation, of whether or not they're going to trust you to save them, whether or not they're going to trust you completely, that you're going to forgive their sins. Change who they are. Your your word describes it as a new creation. Old things passed away, all things becoming new. Your, Your word describes it, Lord, as you change your hearts. You'll give us a new heart, a new desire. Father, I'm so aware that very probably... There's somebody here this morning, or maybe several, that have been considering this, but for some reason, they've just not done it. But this morning, your Holy Spirit is speaking to it and say, today's a day. Come and worship me. Trust me to be your Lord and your King. If that's you, right where you sit, would you, would you confess him as Lord and say, Jesus Christ, you are King of Kings. And now, as I, by faith, I ask you to come into my heart, I believe you'll forgive my sins and you're my Savior. Save me. I need your forgiveness. I need your indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God to help me navigate this thing called life. God, I've tried it. Everything's a mess. I need somebody bigger than me to help me through this. I need you. Come into my life. Come in. You say, Jerry, what if I don't feel any different? Hey, it's not about how you feel. It's about him honoring his word. If you pray that prayer, if you confess him, if you believe in him, if you trust him, his word says he will come in. He will forgive. And he will begin doing a work in your life that's going to be amazing. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love to pray with you. Don't want to embarrass you, but it's... Others are praying. If you prayed that prayer this morning with me and say, hey, pastor, I pray that prayer. Pray for me now as a new believer that I would be obedient and that I would uh, grow as I keep him centered, my life centered on him. Just raise your hand up and put it back down quickly. Let me see that so I can pray with you. Father, we give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise for who you are and all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.